This is Future Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast wherein a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read Eric Flint's Castaway Odyssey, and Mick read A Dark and Stormy Knit by Anne Canadeo. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast wherein a wife and her husband get each other. You heard this from the intro. What am I even doing? My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. We are here uh, in the pre-taped Colin show. True uh, behind the curtain look. We're taping this. Taping? Is that a thing people still say? We are recording this on July 7th of 2017. 7 7 mm-hmm. uh, So a lot of sibilance in that date. Uh, but this won't release until you're hearing it, so for a while. But I've got some good news right here. I've got uh, the newspapers over the next couple days uh, until this releases. So we can look over uh, future news. Yeah, we can really get in some like topical references, some things that are really at the forefront of your mind on the 17th of August. Yeah, and so thank goodness we're here to really dive deep into dirty in the last couple of weeks uh, to really pick apart kind of those new things. Did you have anything that you wanted to start with? Yeah, so one thing that I'm really jazzed about is the recent finale of the 13th season of The Bachelorette oh, with Rachel God, Lindsay. Um, her final two. So it aired all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Oh, final that's a two surprise. were Peter and Brian, but she didn't choose either of them and huh. instead chose to fly away on a helicopter to a beautiful paradise with her dog Copper. Best ending I could ever have imagined. For yeah, up until like the helicopter crashed. And now, no, that was really sad. And now the new Bachelor Paradise Island. Is that what it was called? Or Bachelor Island? Bachelor in Paradise. The, yeah. yeah. The new Bachelor in Paradise is her living out a dessert or deserted island kind of living. Yeah, learning how to like fend for herself. Yeah, and... thankfully she got crash landed with one cameraman mm-hmm. and a satellite dumpling. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what Bachelor in Paradise is, has been. And yeah, you know, that's that's on the air now. It's, yeah, it's, it's really very great exciting. Yeah. I might actually start watching it now. It's um, pretty great. The one thing I was really concerned with and surprised by uh, over the last couple of weeks is when uh, President Trump de- uh, canceled art. Yeah, I mean, I think we all really saw that one coming, though. Yeah, the writing art, was on the wall. Well, not anymore. <laughs> hey, because art's canceled. I know, everything's so. canceled, but pretty soon, hopefully, President Trump will be canceled, too. Yeah, well, with all the news that have been coming out about him lately, I mean, of course. You know, those tapes that finally got released? Yeah, and not the ones you're thinking, either. Worse <laughs> ones. Even worse. Mick, it's the 17th of August, yes. so you have started your school year, Yeah, they right? dis- they discovered this podcast, and so now I'm being chased out of town with pitchforks and torches. And you've turned 25. How does it feel? Your birthday's on the 14th. Yes, so, I know. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not excluding. I'm thinking of how it feels. I've got to uh, collect okay. myself. Yeah. Um, the sudden advancement of uh, spinal bifida, a problem that I had not had previously yeah. in my life, was a little weird, but... I did try to warn you also, not to turn 25. Also, look at these droopy 25. balls. Oh, I don't want to look at those. I did try to warn you not to turn 25. It's all downhill from there. I did my best. Uh, what are we going to do now that podcasts are illegal? 
Hmm, I think we're going to do like a speakeasy style podcast and mm. turn our home. We're going to have even fewer listeners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people are going to come into our home and, and listen to this illegal podcast, really prohibition style. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a little slat and a password on the mm-hmm. wall. What's our password? Um, It's got to be something for Midnight Sins. No, no. Oh. Of course, it's got to be laughing. Laughing at her cream. <laughs> Yes. So you heard it here for the last time. Lapping at our cream. Come on down. Uh, we will do a live podcast for you, also known as us having a conversation and rudely ignoring you. Yeah, it's going to be really great. And we'll probably be drinking some bourbon, unless that gets canceled, too. No. Bourbon is uh, bourbon stocks are higher than ever. Bourbon will never be canceled. <laughs> no. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's the cops. We knock, better knock, knock. We better hurry this one out before they break in. Um, so with that in mind, let's get this done before we get arrested forever. Uh, Susan, you wanted to go first. I have to be honest, and I picked out this book. I was looking for a very specific type of book and could not find it. Can and I ask the specific no. type of book? You may no? not. No. Okay. Uh, I could not find it. And so we were running a little bit late, and so I just had to pick one. And so I found this one, Castaway Odyssey. It looks extraordinarily like Flash Gordon-y, old-timey science fiction, big white men in jumpsuits type thing. Uh, And so I was hoping to get the best out of that. And to be honest, it's not my best pick. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much exactly what you would expect. It's a story about a man named Odysseus that crash lands on a planet with a volleyball named Wilson. You know, Castaway Odyssey. Yes. I got it. (laughs) And the Bachelorette is there. You didn't like my joke? I was was really proud of that joke. You should be pretty proud now that I know it's a joke, but for the first... I would not put it past white men in jumpsuit sci-fi. You're still laughing about this. (laughs) a really good joke i've been thinking about that for like a week now (laughs) (laughs) nice um but i would not have put it past uh science fiction writers to Um, write a castaway odyssey that involves the main character odysseus when you say the volleyball thing i was on yeah (laughs) no our main character is instead named chief sergeant samuel morgan campbell He's got five names. He does have five names. He uses all five of them with frequency. Um, This book wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that bad in comparison to many, many, many of the other books that I've read in this project, Um, especially compared to last week's raunchy smut fest. This was kind of nice. Uh, A couple weeks ago. I'm sorry. Uh, Eight weeks ago's raunchy smut fest. But the thing that I think best describes this book is that it happens really really fast really yes all right so the book is short it's just over 300 pages i love how that's short no um mine's was, shorter well that's good yeah you're good welcome. for you um no you're welcome because i picked that out for you yeah anyway so I read it. This book happens real quick. Um, the basic plot is that there there's a group of people that are aboard um, a, a starship called the Outward Initiative, and they are colonists. They are going to colonize a new planet. They're the second wave of colonists that Ooh. are going out to Outward Initiative to live there and settle. Um, and the something goes wrong it's never fully explained what goes wrong then they'd have to explain and it pieces of outward initiative basically just disintegrate and at the beginning of this big problem with the starship 
they think it's a everyone thinks it's a drill and so they all get into these little lifeboats for what they think is a routine drill but then pieces of outward initiative break away is that a planet or a ship it's a starship that's what i just told you no you said they're part of the second wave of the outward yeah no no no, they're on the starship called the outward initiative uh pay attention i will review the tape and so this group of, of that's a terrible ship individuals name. they're on this lifeboat when outward initiative disintegrates and basically now that's all they have is now it's going to be the outward reaction and the lifeboat is called ls88 there are i believe five of them there's chief sergeant samuel morgan campbell um, there's about an 18-year-old guy named Xander, his younger brother Maddox. Wow. Um, there's a guy named... Xander and Maddox. Tavana. Wow. Did they take this entire colony pick from Utah? Probably. Xander, Maddox, Tavana. Tavana, yeah. Tavana. And then... Navy. And then there is Harmony. a young boy who's about six or seven years old. His name is Francisco. Ooh, and so it's how these, ethnic. He, he's supposed to be Spanish. And Tavana is <laughs> supposed to be um, like French Polynesian. And those things are referenced every time we talk about those characters. We have to, we have to put in with their ethnicity. Is. Um, and so these five guys Ooh, delicious. are in LS-88, this little lifeboat, small okay. spaceship. And... At first, when I started reading, I thought it was like, like a lifeboat, like Titanic kind of lifeboat, where it's just a, it's just a boat. There's nothing else in it. Um, but thankfully for our main boat. characters, there's a lot of stuff in this lifeboat. The, so the the lifeboat spaceship is like well endowed. Yeah, it's pretty it's well like equipped tube. to allow them to survive. Um, so they they cannot find the outward initiative. They cannot get back to their ship. Some of their systems are damaged, um, and they are basically adrift. Um, it's going to take them ten light years, which would be about six months to get to the next like major colony. Um, but well, they can go into basically okay. hyperdrive. Well, here's the question that I ask of this book and a lot of other uh, things as well. If your lifeboat can go into hyperdrive and comfortably fit five people and have all these amenities that I'm assuming it has in order to make this sort of thing easy, then why build gigantic ships? That's a great question. Because you'd think that the one big thing would be like, well, it's a small boat. It's it's really just like in dire emergencies and yeah. you might still like starve to death in the cold vacuum of space. Not in LS-88. Yeah. So then what's the point? Exactly. Um, so they get separated from the larger ship. They're sort of adrift. They think they can get to this larger system, um, but they're sort of regrouping. There's a piece of outward initiative that got stuck to their boat. Um, and there's a woman aboard that small piece. Her name is Lieutenant Pierce Haley. The attachment of... Are you the... sure it's not Haley Pierce? No, it's Pierce Haley. How, how names work? Yeah. Um, and so she has to detach her piece from them in order for them to be able to move. And so they, like, put her into, um, like, a, a deep sedation. They, like, basically put her body to sleep um, and leave her in this little piece of boat shrapnel until they can get their boat fixed. And so she's just sort of spinning off into space. Um, thankfully, they've See ya, got... Lady. 
They've got... The uh, men have to survive. Tavana, the French Polynesian man. Um, he's like 15 or 16, and he's very skilled with... He's like he's the tech guy, and he can fix all these different things. The Donatello. So very quickly, they have almost everything fixed on their boat. They um, get a lot of the systems back on. They don't have radar, but like they can fly. They have oxygen, like all of the basics I don't think radar they works in space. Um... Their lifeboat also just happens to have digging and construction equipment and a bunch of things that, like, wouldn't be available in new colonies, just in case, you know, they have to go start a new colony. Some foreshadowing there. Um, And so basically they crash, they regroup, they have the air systems and the power back on. And Lieutenant Pierce has, like, made her big sacrifice, or Lieutenant Haley has made her big sacrifice within five chapters. These are short chapters. So, Three to four pages a piece. Like, re- what? All of this happens. All of that stuff that I talked about happens in, let's say, let, let's be generous generous, and give it 25 pages. Holy ball sacks. When you said five yeah. chapters, I was like, all right, sure. No. Five short chapters. Yeah. Um, so then by page 58, they repaired the system that allows them to travel at light speed, and they rescued Sergeant Haley. Well, good. So I was thinking that was going to be one of our main conflicts and that we wouldn't find her again until the end. Nope, found her before part two. Wow. We need at least one lady or else this is a sausage fest. I was kind of turning into a sausage fest anyway. I thought you were going to say but like, I was kind of getting turned on. They find her, and then they immediately have to put her back to sleep again because she has radiation poisoning. So she's like on the boat, but she's she's asleep. So the timing of this is really questionable, mostly because it all happens in about, you know, 30 pages. But they keep referencing that they've been on LS-88 for a couple months, like two months gets thrown around a lot. But there's still a lot of things that happen in the dialogue that indicate that it's all pretty fresh and recent. Mm. Like Francisco, the six-year-old, Six-year-old. Yeah. He's like, I told you, he was like six or seven. Yeah. I remember him being Spanish and ethnic. Yeah. He's also six or seven. Um, And he's like having these big meltdowns about whether or not he's ever going to see his family again. But the way they're written, it seems like this is an immediate, he's just thinking about this for the first time thing. Which like, understandable reaction for a child, but maybe not after two months. Like, you think he would have thought about it before then. Um, so, like, the timing is really questionable, how long they've been, um, how long they've been on the lifeboat and all of these things. Um, there's also a couple of other, like, I mentioned the thing about, like, their lifeboat happens to have, like, six months of rations on board. Mm. Like, basically anything they could have ever needed, plus a lot of equipment that they would need to start a new colony. Yeah, so they've got, like, until you get to the new colony food and when you get to the new colony tools. Yeah, and so there's a lot of stuff. Like, the lifeboat just kind of serves as a cop-out. Like, oh, we don't have to worry about all of these things because we have this. Let me reach into the plot closet. Right? Another plot closet that has been added in. And this is something that, I can't remember what the book was called. But I remember that I was reading it while we were in Madison with my family. And it was one of those, like, world-hopping books. Um, and they had these things called Omnis where they could just, like, download a bunch of information. And it would be assimilated into their brain. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, I, can't I remember, remember reading, what that one was uh, called. Warp space or deep space or something like that. Yeah, at the same it was time. something like that. It was one of those like it was about like time lords and all of those different things. So he could just download um, all of these different things, and all of a sudden he's a psychologist. No, because... that's warrior. Was it warrior? Yeah, if if you're talking about psychologists, then yeah, that's definitely warrior. Hmm. Because I remember you talking about it like every single time they were going to have any sort of ah uh, yes. Then uh, that was the problems, one. yeah. So similar to this, and even called the same—actually, not even similar—identical to that. Um, in this book, are same thing omnis. So different things that they can download into their like helmets hmm. that allow them to have all of this information. Um, and so, like, so at one point, Sergeant Campbell, who is their like leader he's the oldest he has a bunch of military experience and very knowledgeable he has helped to colonize worlds before um he gets very badly injured and he's basically out of commission and they're he's trying back to, a to officer they're trying to figure out um like how to help him and like how to treat his wound so these kids who have no medical training no knowledge of any of this are able to help their hurt out of commission captain because they just download this stuff onto their their omnis their helmets and all of a sudden they know what's wrong with him how to treat it whether or not they have the materials that they need to treat it and they also even know the like percentage likelihood of recovery wowzers bowsers right so what's the point in anyone learning anything if they can just download it straight into their helmet Mm, today's education system but also like that makes the book a lot less fun because so basically the next piece of the plot so they aren't the next able, two chapters they are not able to make it to the established system because something goes wrong with their like light speed drive and they wind up landing on this this planet that they've never seen before um and thankfully it's like habitable and what? has water and oh, oxygen good. and all nice. these things um, and so they're trying to establish this colony. Like, that's a pretty cool premise for a book, right? They, like, land on this planet, and they're exploring it and trying to figure out how to survive on yeah. it and what animals might attack them or what plants are poisonous. Robinson like. Crusoe, 3,000. Yeah, so, like, cool plot for a book, if not a little bit done. But all of the, like, interesting conflicts that come up with that are already taken care of because of all these plot cop-outs right Mm, the plot closets the plot closets so they have the machinery that allows them to like dig and excavate and construct without them having to do anything it just does it automatically how big is this damn spaceship apparently it's pretty big Uh, there's like there's four what i'm assuming are like digger like diggers you know yeah so it's like uh captain we uh we're gonna have to add ten thousand pounds of rocket fuel because we want to include an excavator on every single lifeboat. Yeah, and so the thing that I wondered is, was this stuff on every single lifeboat just in case, or was there like stuff that they would need for the colony that they were originally going to, like disseminated on every lifeboat, and they just happened to have this particular lifeboat? Thank God they hopped onto the like the living lifeboat and not that yeah. you're gonna die lifeboat yeah so like cop outs lots of cop outs um and then also like these these omnis too so you're you crash land 
the only people that you have are the people that were in the boat with you. So thank goodness we have a tech guy. Thank goodness we have a mechanic, all this kind of stuff. But you don't really need any of that. Oh no, we're struggling because we don't have a doctor. Good thing I have this thing I can download into my helmet. And then now I'm a doctor too, <laughs> I guess. So just staff it all with four-year-olds. Teach them how to use an Omni and then you don't have to even feed them as much. Apparently. So then um, or build the hallways from as about page 83 to 181, so a little less than 100 pages, they crash land on this planet. They clear out a space. They learn how to fish. They find edible food. They set up satellites to send out signals to anyone who may be looking for them. They explore the planet that they're on. They solve two medical emergencies. Oh, good. Well, the helmets do. All of this within less than 100 pages. Like this in itself could be an entire book. And it's all crammed into less than 100 pages. At the very end of that, so that's, I suppose, part two of the book, um, they get these satellites set up, right? And then all of a sudden they hear in their omnis a female voice saying, can anyone hear me? And so there's someone else on the planet that's linked that's up to the their satellite lady. system. No, she's still asleep in there, in their spaceship. So they, they don't have radiation poisoning solving. No, they do, but it's slow acting. So they just decided to keep her oh, asleep Christ. until it works. All right. Because <laughs> so, you don't die in your sleep. Exactly. Your sleep is when your body repairs itself. So in the third act, we discover that there was another lifeboat of... I I, no, I mean, I wake <laughs> up sore enough uh, yeah. enough that I know that's not true. Um, in the third act, we discover that there was another lifeboat that crash landed on this planet. Ooh. And luckily enough, one of them is a doctor. Well, we don't need you. And so it's they... It's been proven clear. <laughs> so they like are communicating back and forth with these other survivors. They're on the other side of the planet, so they're figuring out a way to get to them. They get to them. Oh, good. They essentially raise two people from the dead because uh, Captain Campbell almost dies at this point, and then also they they take the other lady out of her sleep state and get her all better. Um, they turn their spaceship into a boat. They solve racism. Oh, and good. And then the book ends. How'd they solve racism? Um, one of the crew members in the other boat, one of the survivors from the other boat, is an alien of a different species, and our main characters have a lot of prejudice um, oh. of that type of species. Wow. But then he helps save their lives, so then the, then racism is over. It's canceled. And he's one of the good ones. And he's the only one. Did so. they get off the planet? Um, no, they do not get off the planet, but they, like, they have... Not just a temporary shelter, but like a whole house. And they have all of these different things. They figured out how to make wine. They figured out a lot of different uh, food. They can bake a cake. It's uh, like Minecraft. They can make a cake. Oh, it is like Minecraft. It's like Minecraft. Um, actually, I don't know if it's anything like Minecraft. Because, it's like Minecraft. Okay. It's also, I think, a little bit like... Because it's full of squares. to be like Star Trek. Because... Correct me if I'm wrong. The special effects are really bad. There was a there was a quote in one of the beginning chapters where Sergeant Campbell says, as the old timers sometimes say, make it so. And that's a Star Trek thing, right? Yes, that is Star Trek the next generation. Yeah. So disloyal listener Matt's favorite, I think. I think so. Michelle will know. Captain Picard. Um Luke spelled the French way. So yeah, that was pages one eighty one to three hundred. So probably the least amount of things happen in the last 120 pages 
in comparison to all the stuff that happened in the first 180. Wowzers. So, yeah, this book moves real, real quick. The rising action is more like a flash flood. Oh. Hey. Hey. Um, a couple of things this book actually did pretty well. It dealt with, like, there's a really big age difference between the characters, and it actually did a really good job with, like, how would a six-year-old react to this? How is a 16-year-old going to react with this? Like, a lot of the, the three of the five main characters are, like... That's a compromise. They're, like, 13, 15, and 17. Um, and so they... Um, like, they, I think the author does a pretty... The authors, I think there's two. No. Do a pretty good job of, like, they're trying really hard to be adults, but then they're also still struggling with some things because they're really young. Yeah, like boners. And then the, like, Sergeant Campbell and the way that he interacts with them is also done pretty well. There's also a really good conversation about, like, when they landed, they basically destroyed everything in a small circle because they were like, well, we, we don't know what's going to kill us. So we're basically going to set a perimeter, burn down everything within that perimeter. Uh -huh. And that's going to be our, like where we make our shelter. Um, and then the other group tried really hard to like basically become a part of the existing ecosystem and not destroy anything. So there was a actually pretty decent conversation about like preservation versus protection. Um, like, is it more important for you, the the invader, to survive, or is it more important to preserve the natural state of the planet? Um, but well, that was glossed over pretty quick because we move quick in this book. Yes. Did anyone from the preservation side die due to their nature? No, but they did get hurt several times. Because of that? Um, sort of because of that, yeah. <laughs> All right. It moves pretty quick. So, yeah, that was this book. Um if you're looking for something that you can read hella fast because there's more things that happen in one page than in pretty much any other book I've ever read, I suppose go ahead and check out Castaway Odyssey. It wasn't that great. Well, but you know how it ends. It's been worse. So the way that these sorts of things work is I believe this is probably going to be a Tom Clancy ish kind of book where Tom Clancy's been dead for several years. His name still gets put on books. Mm -hmm. So I think Eric Flint is the Tom Clancy of this book, and Reek E. Spoor mm -hmm. is the actual author. Reek? I think it's just Rick. Wow. That's a uh, science fiction-ass way to spell Rick. Yeah. Ricky Spoor. Ricky Spoor. Yeah. Driving this number 17 car this week in Talladega. <laughs> Ricky Spoor. Hey, that's my boy Ricky. What? That's a guy cheering for NASCAR. Nice. I like it. I thought that was a quote from something. That's just your new character. No. Ricky fan 69. That's just my new thing. A nice. A nice. A nice. A go. So. Let the dirt pack out. Nick. Yes? How was a dark and stormy knit? Uh, you know, <laughs> I was really afraid that the puns would needle me. Aww. But when he came down to it, this book was a true pearl. I'm glad you didn't get too tangled up in knitting puns. Hey, <laughs> all the plot threads got tied up. That's good. Actually, not really, but oh well. Um, I have to say that in terms of books that you've got me for this project, this is probably like the second best that really? you've ever got me. Yeah. Um, best still, How to Marry a Duke? No, that, that was like better than I was expecting. Not necessarily good. The best is that one, uh, oh, what was it called? It had shifters in there in Mexico. 
shifters are at the very end oh, of them yeah, being yeah. real. Yeah. Yep. The, you know, that whole thing. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember what it's titled. So you answer us, listener. Answer us on Twitter. But instead, I or I read a dark and stormy knit. Uh, this is the Black Sheep Knitters. Uh, be very ca- uh, careful when you announce them. This uh, uh, this is an ongoing series in the Black Sheep Knitting Mystery series. There are several other ones, each delightful. Have you read the the uh, other titles? I have not. Silence of the Llamas, <laughs> Till Death Do Us Pearl, A Stitch Before Dying, Knit Pearl Die, and While My Pretty One Knits. So uh-huh. some up and downs in there. Uh, nice. This takes place in a small Massachusetts town uh, on the, the beach outside Boston, basically like upstate, uh, which brings to mind one of the biggest problems of Murder, She Wrote type stuff. Where it's like Murder, She Wrote takes place in a pretty small town as well. And every week they had to get away for someone to be murdered for the mm-hmm. character to have anything to do. And so it ends up that the Murder, She Wrote town and this town probably have like wicked high murder rates. Like get out of town. It's a dangerous town. Mm-hmm. And so what happens in this one is we've got a knitting group. Uh, our main character is Maggie. Uh, uh Maggie Messina, owner of the Black Sheep Knitting Shop, is a retired high school art teacher. They introduce you to the Black Sheep Knitters uh, at the beginning of the book. Lucy Binger, which is really weird because Nancy Binger was my mom's college roommate, uh, left Boston when her marriage ended. Dana Hager is a psychologist. I actually... You look like you have something to say. I do. You go ahead. Uh, I was really worried when they called her a psychologist that she would become just like the motive explainer, yeah. but that didn't happen here. That's good. Yeah. Um, real quick, are the majority of them older women, but there's like one 29-year-old like hipster girl with short hair that wears Birkenstocks and learned how to knit on YouTube? I feel like anything involving knitting has to have that girl. I am that girl, so I can't throw it too much Well, shade. there's like a 45-year-old art teacher, and then you're led to believe that these next three, Lucy, Dana, and Suzanne, are like maybe 35 to 40 years old. Oh, okay. And then Phoebe Meyer is a college student, complete with magenta highlights, a nose stud, and lives in the apartment above Maggie's shop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so part of the new generation of young knitters. I love it. Me like you know, I just like taught myself how to knit because I just really feel like I need something to do with my hands. Yeah, um, this book, although it's about a person dying, only one person dies, uh, and it's the wrong person actually, uh, oh. which is pretty fun. Uh, but like, legitimately, they tried to kill a person, and this person looked like another person, and so the wrong person died, oh. and so they're trying to figure out how it happens. Uh, this is the most honest both in terms of like factual how life actually works honest emotionally honest socially this is like really open and out there and realistic and for better or for worse like all those things because sometimes you want to read a book where people go on a spaceship and they crash into a different planet and laser guns sometimes (laughs) Uh, sometimes you want to read about big exploits by big people or car chases and gunfights and then this one it's a murder mystery where all the work is done by the police yeah (laughs) Like, the main character has very little to do. I mean, you still get to experience the life of a person going through a murder mystery, but she has very little to do with actually solving the murder. There's, like, there's no, uh, uh, 
Remember that one Blackbird Sisters mystery you made me read? Yeah. Where they end up at the theater and they're like running away on the catwalks while the murderers are shooting at them type stuff? Yeah. Like, no, the police handle it. And nobody shoots at the police. They get arrested and they go in for questioning and sometimes they admit it. Sometimes they get tripped up during questioning. Like, it's very realistic at our So it's not like the food critic has to solve the murder by herself kind no. of situation? It's like this person gets embroiled in a mystery and has some good ideas, has some not so good ones. There are like a billion red herrings and not in the, I was really kind of worried when I would say that that would sound bad and like the, uh, the author just keeps throwing stuff at mm-hmm. you and wants, like wants you to be confused. Whereas here it's like, here's a realistic portrayal of a person's life. It's messy and there's a lot of connections with other people Yeah. and there's a major red herring that has no part in the murder, but there's some other things that feel like red herrings at first that play some part in the murder. And so it, it feels pretty uh, good. Um, but what we get is a knitting store owner, Maggie, owns a knitting store, okay. as she is, uh, her title would suggest. Uh, she wakes up one morning, goes to work, and in front of her shop are the uh, traffic meters are all covered up with little knitted cats. And they look very creepy, apparently. Mm-hmm. And it's the Knit Cats, Knitting Vandals, the Knitting Criminals. They're and yarn bombing. Ne'er-do-wells. Yarn bombing, indeed. How topical. Uh, our yarn bombing the, the town, and that's what our book opens with. And her young uh, employee, Phoebe, is very excited about this and runs outside and says the phrase, I'm going to put this on Facebook and Instagram. Aww. Like uh, those words. Maggie, or this is in the text, Maggie nodded, though she wasn't sure what that meant. Oh, Like this very much, (laughs) although we look at the picture, she doesn't look uh, that old or anything like that, but this is very much not a person who's comfortable with the young generation Mm -hmm. and does not really understand what young or old means. And so it's kind of weird about like some of the things she said, like the author reserves for old people is not reserved for old people. Can I ask a question though? Yeah. Is it an author? Does it feel like an author who's not that comfortable with young people, but is trying really hard to no. write young people? Or does she do a good job of acknowledging that she doesn't really know young people? There, I mean, Phoebe plays a pretty major part in this because mm-hmm. the murdered person was supposed to be her good friend from art school and art school where they have lockers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not really a thing at colleges no. anymore. Uh, if ever, uh, so she plays a pretty major part, and when she talks, sometimes she uses the word like. It's not done to an obnoxious degree. She's not, like, rolling her eyes and sullen teenagering all around. Mm-hmm. She does a pretty good job of representing, like, this is a young woman who is getting into the world and has to confront a pretty big thing when her friend was supposed to be murdered, and instead someone else she knew got murdered. And the friend has now run away, and she's a person of interest. And so it's there's a pretty good uh, representation of, like, a young woman is in the world and she's confronted by these large things and doesn't quite know how to mm. handle it because, like, it's just a maturity thing. Yeah. Even I'm 25, you know, and I'd like to think I'm a pretty mature guy. If I was a part of a murder investigation, I still might get a little freaked out. However, we do sometimes run into uh, not knowing really the difference between young and old and sometimes the lack of differences between them. For instance, Phoebe, the younger person... Uh, finds herself using antiquated phrases like can't trust anybody farther than you can throw them or can't Mm. trust this person further than you can throw them. And she, she's like, I can't believe I use that antiquated. I can't say that word phrase. Antiquated. Antiquated phrase. Just like Maggie would. It's not really an antiquated phrase. No, I feel like that's a, that's just like a thing that people say. Yeah. It's a cliche. Yeah. 
But uh, then she goes on to like wonder, what's that even mean? Like, I can't throw anybody anywhere. Did people used to just go around tossing people around? Like, no, I no. think it's pretty easy to figure out what that yeah, phrase it's pretty means. Pretty clear, you can't throw them at all. Yeah, therefore, the <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so there's a friend of Phoebe's from art school. Uh, we meet her at. She's very young and very beautiful. Mm-hmm. We are told, uh, but she has a art gallery. Her, uh, like I have a restraining order against you ex-boyfriend which this book does a very good job of representing like abusive relationships and warning people to stay away from them and also like showing people coming together to help with those sorts of things uh shows up to the art or art project she goes away with the the girlfriend goes away with phoebe the ex-girlfriend goes away with phoebe and then runs away the uh ex-boyfriend chases them and so all of the knitting group chase the boyfriend then they lose the girlfriend they lose the ex-boyfriend, they find Phoebe, and oh, wow, that was weird. They can't find the girl for a while. It turns mm-hmm. out that Phoebe goes to her apartment, uh, Caroline, I believe is her name. Phoebe goes to Caroline's apartment, lets her in with a spare key, finds a dead body inside. <gasps> Calls the police and everything. She has been, we're like, never really told the details of how she died. She got chloroformed and stuff and mm-hmm. wrapped up in an afghan and it's mismatching and it's kind of like a yarn bombing kind of afghan and it turns out that Caroline was a part of the Knit Cats. Oh no! And so we're thinking that the Knit Cats had something to do with it and on page like, I'm going to ruin the, the thing. On page like uh, 70, uh, when we meet the male professor and his wife, I don't even know who died yet. I said it's going to be the male professor or his wife. Turns out it's his wife. Uh, we're led to believe for a long time that it's the ex-boyfriend, which admittedly, because he's an abusive dickhead, uh, that would make for a good person to kill somebody, because that's you, like, you know. that's a thing that happens. Yeah, that's a thing that happens. Turns out he didn't do it, but he does get arrested for being an abusive dickhead, so he gets his comeuppance after he does a DUI. Uh, then it turns, we want to believe it's the male professor, it turns out he didn't kill her, he was having an affair with her, which was very obvious and why I pinned it on the guy in the first place. Uh, and he was guilty of insider trading, not of, uh, murder. Oh my. Yeah. Cause she, Caroline worked at a law firm and like was privy to some mergers. And so uh-huh. she didn't mean to tell him, she didn't know what she was telling. And he, uh, benefited on the stock market from that merger. Uh, but because he killed the wrong lady, there's this whole thing about like, well, he better than anyone would be able to recognize her in the dark, right? Because this oh, person died yeah. in bed watching TV. And it turns out that it was actually the the art professor's wife mm-hmm. who was had never met Caroline and so killed and framed. And she, like, double framed, which was a little, like, okay, your red herringness went a little too far. Yeah. Where she not only framed her husband by wearing his boots and dropping a glove of his at the scene, she also framed the knit cats by wrapping her up in a, mm-hmm. like yarn bombing afghan yeah that's a that's a little extreme yeah double i suppose framing. you like really super want the police to not think it was you <laughs> yes double framing um but this especially uh compared against my several weeks ago wink wink uh book jungle freaking bride the Gross. disgusting Gross. smut book that Gross. you got me I know. This book was so positive and so warm and nice and happy and just wants everyone to like 
get along and have dinner together for once in our lives and presumably there were no threesomes there were there's no sex at all although our main character does end up agreeing to a date with one of the cops but that was also that was yeah because she is a widow and he is a widower that was also presented very like honestly like he comes around to ask a couple questions that he maybe doesn't need to ask and she's she's happy that he showed up but they're not like hey nice tits yeah it's very it's very welcoming and nice but compared to jungle freaking bride and now this book it is like the two types of moms where sometimes you have a jungle freaking bride mom who reads smut on the couch and then uh i don't know what else moms like that do and sometimes you get the knitting uh very nice and welcome he seems like a nice young man kind of mom and this is very much the second one which is a pretty big relief i'm gonna be a yarn mom that's all right but uh, some of the ways that this is just like positive and nice is the the uh, conversations between friends in the black sheep knitters. Uh, although it it doesn't always come off as super realistic as that's how people talk. It's like that's how you'd like people to talk. Uh, let me see. Quite a night. Not what I not what I expected. I must say. Maggie turned to her friends in the backseat to gauge their reactions. They're driving home from the art fiasco. Do you mean Caroline's artwork or chasing Quentin, the ex-boyfriend? Suzanne asked. Both, I suppose. I didn't, Oh, this is the most mom thing. Um, in that one of her art installations, she's a fiber artist. So uh-huh. she knits art. Okay. And one of them was a mannequin, and, and the piece was entitled Date Night. And she, the mannequin had like a mirror and this fancy hat and this knit beautiful dress, but also a knit gag across her mouth. Uh-huh. Right? And so it's like, that's pretty standard for art and pretty clear in its... Yeah. Suggestion and everything. And it goes on for several pages about, not pages, but like it's brought up several times how this art is like dark and complex. And I don't, I don't really get what she's meaning because I never expected to have that sort of dark side. It's like, that's pretty on the surface kind of art. Yeah. (laughs) I gotta tell you a mannequin with a gag over its mouth representing dating. That's anyway. I didn't expect her artwork to be so complex, Dana admitted. She always seems so sunny and sweet. Uh, Same here, Lucy said. I wonder if that gag on that mannequin was inspired by a relationship with Quentin. Phoebe said he was very jealous and possessive. Also, there's tremendous amounts of assholes, especially him. And Mm -hmm. it's just like a you need to be arrested right now kind of asshole. And it's very, very momish where it's like, oh, he's he's jealous and possessive. And they're not willing to like use strong language. Yeah. Anyway. Could be, Dana agreed. Either way, she's clearly done the right thing, breaking up with him. He's totally out of control. I hope she's someplace safe. I'm going to ask Phoebe to give Charlotte my, or Caroline my number. I had a wrong name. Sorry, it's Charlotte. But uh, Caroline my number in case she needs any support. I'd be happy to help her without charge. Young women are so vulnerable. Aww. Maggie listened to the windshield wiper swish and slap. That's so true. These relationships can seem romantic and passionate at first. They don't even realize what's happening until it's like, they're just talking about. They're just moms. They're just moms and they're worried about their young friend. Yeah. Uh, but then we get to like, sometimes a little bit of uh, uh, it, like very casual sorts of empowerment. It doesn't go too into it, but it's very on the surface and very like, oh, that's nice. 
Uh, it's Valentine's Day coming up in this book. No wonder women fall prey to controlling relationships. We're brainwashed night and day into think. This is a woman speaking. We're brainwashed night and day into thinking there's something wrong with us. Something always needs improvement and fixing. Some reason we are not worthy of love and respect, from our crow's feet to our saggy boobs and baggy thighs. As if a woman were a cellophane-covered package of chicken parts in the supermarket <laughs> to be critiqued and passed over, or an old house always in need of repair and improvement. I was like, that's very nice. That's very nice. I like that. Nice. Uh, it goes into other parts where these people get together and they're just trying to like be friendly and be supportive because this, yeah. well, this young woman saw someone die or like dead and she's like going through all this stuff and she went through a breakup as well. And so they're trying to be supportive and nice and sometimes they don't always succeed because there's sometimes you, the people will say something and like try to eat their words out of the air yeah. and even our main character will be like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or something like that. So it's very realistic about interpersonal feelings and kind of the momish sort mm-hmm. of vibe. Although it doesn't always come across as like, that's how people talk. Yeah. But, um, but I feel like maybe the like word for word does not come across as how people talk. But like the that yeah. concept of like, you're, with good intentions, you say things that you later wish you shouldn't have said. Like oh, yeah. that does seem very realistic. And I feel like books don't often do that. Or they do that so over the top. Yeah, and then you, you just have that person who, I'm just a babbler. Yeah. Uh, it can be pretty funny. Uh, someone is complaining, and they say, my spelling is atrocious. I can't even spell atrocious. <laughs> That's how atrocious my spelling That's is. That's cute. That's pretty funny. Uh, there's this whole thing about they are discussing who they think did it, and they're gossiping a little bit. And then uh, uh, they take a break from doing that because someone brought up how sad the parents of the accidentally killed girl must be. Oh. And so they take a break to arrange how to send flowers and, like, should we all get together? Should we chip yeah. in? And, like, they take the time this to do that. Very and that's very nice. Yeah. yeah. That's very nice to think about. Uh, at the very end, they are, like, they've solved it and they're supporting each other through Valentine's Day. And Phoebe is the one who cooks it. And it's all decked out. And she dresses up in her wacky hardcore style of a black mini dress and stockings and all this sort of things. They, they reaffirm their love for each other and Phoebe and Maggie both at this point do not have men. Uh, and so they, they basically have Valentine's day where they oh, support their friend. Cause yeah. they even do it the day before Valentine's day. Leslie Nope style. Yeah. Um, but there are still a couple funny things in here that, that I need to point out. Uh, I can't believe, and I don't know how many people out there will get this, but I can't believe the what's in this stew is a cliche at this point. Oh, mmm, this stew is really good. What's in it besides chicken? Suzanne took a second taste of her dinner, savoring the uh, forkful. Some white beans, carrots, onions, a little chopped tomato, garlic, of course. Do you get this at all? No. You don't remember watching that Mystery Science Theater where... uh, That's a great stew. Mm. What's in it? Oh, a lot of things. Rattlesnake, Velveeta. Chicken, corn, green peppers, chili, onions, uh, hair. Uh, So Dark and Stormy Knit was pretty good. Uh, I mean, I would never have chosen to read this book, but especially coming off uh, several weeks ago of Jungle Freakin' Bride, this was just like a nice little palate cleanser and a nice, like, warm blanket. Yeah. You could totally read this book with, like, tea and it didn't take me that long i'm a pretty off and on kind of reader you just like and i'm a pretty off and on kind of reader and even i got it done in like three or four days uh so get Mm. get a blanket and some tea if you want a nice little slice of momhood uh in your books i feel like this was a pretty 
pleasant episode of Bibliovile. Like a pretty pleasant couple books that we that we got to read this yeah. time. It was kind of a nice break. It's, it was pretty it was nice. like inoffensive. You know. Yeah. Well, tell that to the police knocking at it. Yeah. Well, there they are again. No, they're there it's again. Podcasts are, we better wrap it up. Podcasts are legal. We better wrap it up and uh, get our lawyers on the phone here. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter even if I'm in jail at this point. My name is Mick Dickinson. And my Twitter account is Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. And I am Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. The intro music for our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Which I can only say if I say it all at once. Loyal listener Matt Dickinson asked me like six weeks ago um, (laughs) what the band was. And I did not know. I had to say the whole thing. But anyway, um, check out their stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks to our executive producer, Irham Wisesa. And we will be back again in another two weeks. Good night, Matt. I love you.